I have a very special guest today, but before I do, I want to let you know, you can subscribe for free. And if you know anyone who is interested in being on a podcast that has a story to tell, I would gladly interview them. As my next will probably tell you, it's like an interrogation. It took me a while to get him here. I had to get him to the house because he knows nothing about computers. He's him, him and my friend Chuck knows much as about computers as a dead ant. So with that, I also bowl with him on Mondays and we beat him on Tuesdays. So it's always a good thing. But Gal, tell me about you. Tell me about your first job. We talked about you went in the military first. And then you went to the sheriff's department. You went in the military, correct? Yes, I was in the military. How long and what service? I was in the army. I was infantry artillery. I was in Korea, Germany, Fort Stewart, Georgia, Fort Benning, Fort Seal. And I got 10 years under my belt, did 30 years with the sheriff's department. Okay, the 10 years in the military. Why did you leave? Well, really, I had went in right after high school, and my mother had passed away the end of my junior year, going into my senior year. And I was really big in sports, and I decided that I didn't want to play sports anymore, and I wanted to travel. And you need money to travel. I wanted to see other parts of the world. I had done a lot of research and reading on other parts of the world that I wanted to see. And for me at that time, I needed to get away. So I joined the military. What kind of sports did you like? Basketball, football, and baseball was my best sports here in Chicago. Then we moved to St. Louis, Missouri. And then I noticed everyone was playing basketball. And me, I like a challenge. So I learned how to play basketball. Come to find out, I was pretty good at it. And so I played those three sports and I ran track in high school. Oh, very good. So then you decided you come out to go to the sheriff's department, which one in Chicago or? Yes, in Chicago. How was that? I never hear anything good about the crime and stuff in Chicago. How was it? Well, crime, you know, Chicago was built off crime. You know. Al Capone. This, right, Al Capone, you know, Dillinger and all these people. So this is nothing new. Everybody act like crime has just come about. No, crime has been around since the turn of the century, since they came over. It just recently got highlighted to me. It got highlighted all of a sudden when Michelle and Obama was known from coming from Chicago. You know, there've always been gangs and drugs and violence. And the sheriff's department, we had the biggest we have the biggest jail system on one compound, one area. LA has the North and South uh, compounds. We have everything on one compound. So we have more inmates or they call them detainees now, you know, but uh, it was a, it was an experience. Cause being on one side as a sheriff and then watching the day-to-day activities of the prisoners, it's a very thin line. It's a very thin line. They're in their own world that was provided for them for what they've done, you know, until they get incarcerated and go to prison. And that's another world. 
but just being in there seeing some things and and having to do things it's unbelievable you you learn a lot what made you decide to go to the sheriff's department <laughs> i tell well, everybody this. Good, i got a good story coming up go ahead i tell everybody this it was a joke my brothers was going to the sheriff's department i was actually working for a typesetting company when i got out of the military and actually the social security administration office well they were actually going downtown to take the test for the social for the sheriff's department and I was driving, so I'm driving around, driving around while they're standing in line. And they were like, hey, hey, go park the car. You know, I'm like, it's $40 to park, you know. They come and take the test with us. I said, okay, park the car and go in, take the test with them. To be honest, I wrote down Apple Dabble. Wrote down I wasn't really trying, you know. And, you know, three months later, I get a phone call. This, this detective tells me that I had the second highest score in the class. Really? And he was really interested in me. I said, sir, I said, you mind telling me the truth? I said, I wasn't really trying to take the test. I said, my brothers, they want to work there. I said, I'm okay. I just got out of the military. My finances is looking good. I have another job. It was like, but you had the highest score. I said, sir, I wrote Abba Dabba. So he laughed at me. I said, you check my background? He said, yes. I said, oh, okay. So you see that I was in the military. I had top secret clearance and all this. He said, yes, sir. I said, so that's why you're interested in me. He said, we need more people like you here. He said, you're a soldier. We need you. So after about a week, he called me back. And 30 years later, I retired from there. And what happened to your brother then? Did they get the job? No, they ended up working at the steel mill. Really? Yeah, it was a steel mill. They had a job there, and they actually made more money. I actually got a pay cut to go to the sheriff's department because they wasn't really paying any money at that time. You what know? kind of work did you start out doing there? Actually, I started working inside the jail. They call it lockup. And... I might sit on what they call a tier and the tier housed like 24 cells. It was supposed to be two inmates to a cell, but it was overcrowded. We had three to a cell. Plus we had about 60, anywhere between 50 to 60 people on the floor laying on mattresses. Jesus. So you went from having 48 people that you had to watch, watching 130 people. And that's hard to do. Yes, it is. And did you do anything else besides jailhouse work after a while? Yes, I, I end up going outside to what they call external operations. We handle all the outside activity. We handle outside gates, taking prisoners to the hospitals. Say if a prisoner is in the county at some hospital and might have got shot, whatever, at a hospital, we have to go and retrieve them. Like you see sometimes, on the movies, the guy sit outside the room with a newspaper while mm -hmm. the prisoner is chained to the bed. Yeah, things of that nature. So you sat outside somebody's room with a newspaper? Yes, sir. 
had to keep up with the current events. Yeah, I bet you did, especially the sports section. Which brings me to another actually interesting subject to you. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, he thought this was going to be an interrogation. It, it's not really. It's just telling his life story because I did find it very fascinating. But let's talk about one thing that I know. I know you're a very good bowler. You have a couple 300 games. You both pretty good on Mondays. Not as, not as good as I would like, but you're doing pretty good. You only got a 290 the other day. You should have had that 300. But the, you're, you're constantly, I, I would say to you, as Jose said, you are a bowling fanatic. You live, breathe, and die bowling right now. And that's going to probably be your life achievement is bowling. I have to ask you, when did you start bowling? Actually, I was in the military. And once again, I like a challenge. And some guys, I'm not really a beer drinker. And before we used to go out on the Army base for the nightclub, we would go bowling, have a few beers. And every third frame, sixth frame, and ninth frame, every who scored the least had to buy the pitcher of beer. I noticed, you know, like two, two or three weeks going into this, I'm the only one buying beer. So I met this little kid, and he said he watched me play basketball. And he said, you are good. He said, the same way your wrist goes forward, bring it under the ball. A 12-year-old kid told me to buy my own bowling ball, and he showed me how to bowl. So I put the bowling ball to the bowling alley that following week, and all of a sudden, I hit it on the rack and I had the kids stand by the ball so nobody would touch it and it was blue. But I went, I said, I'm gonna go find me a ball and I'm gonna beat you guys and I'm gonna find a blue ball because I'm gonna give you guys the blues. And everyone laughed at me, yeah, he's gonna buy all the beer. I went, picked up the blue ball and I almost shot 300 that day. I shot 279. Really? So in all the frames, I did not have to buy the beer. A buddy of mine, we always linked each other, either the cars or the motorcycles. He wanted to use my car. Now, my bowling ball was in the back of my car. So he wanted, this when I was in Fort Stewart, Georgia. He wanted to drive to Gainesville, Florida. So I let him use my car. So he brought my car back that night for bowling. So we all at the bowling alley. So I said, yeah, let me go find me a ball. I'm going to try to find that blue ball again. And I thought about something that was in the trunk of the car. Come to find out, my buddy took the ball out of the car, brought it into the bowling alley. He said, hey, guys, I'm going to find me a blue ball, and I'm going to bowl with me a blue ball today. And I looked at him, and he had my bowling ball. <laughs> really? How did he do it? He, I didn't let him use it. Oh, okay. I took, I took my ball. <laughs> you, you spent a lot of time... You have a lot of balls when you go bowling. I know you can only use one at a time, but I watch you switch them out all the time. Is it the ball or is it the bowler? Settle that argument for me. It's both. It's both. When I first started bowling, I had the one ball. It was Colombian white. Basically a straight ball. When I moved to Chicago, the gentleman seeing me bowl, he said, if you can throw me three strikes in a row from where you're shooting with that ball, he gave me a blue angle. And I did it. I threw three strikes. He gave me the blue angle, and he told me that these balls have what they call a weight block on the inside of it, and you can get them drilled a certain way to go longer. It all depend on if you got a house shot. He was telling me about the oil on the floor, 
long oil, short oil, which type of balls. He says like a car tire. You want a tire with grooves in it when you're going over snow and rain so you can get traction. If it has no grooves and it's just flat, that's how a plastic ball is, it'll just slide or skid. But you want one to kind of slide first, skid, flip, roll. So when you start to understand the ball and, and where it's breaking point, where it's turn and hook, you get familiar with it. Now all it takes is your speed, how much speed you're going to put on the ball to get it there. You know, then once you get those down packed, one thing I've learned about bowling is consistency, constantly hitting that same area. I have a friend of mine, I just tell him, throw your arm up and back. Let your pendulum do, do the work. And just throw the ball straight up the middle of the floors. But he always wants to strike. And when he don't ever strike, he gets mad at his spares. And then he misses his spares, you know. But if the same way with a spare, if you look at it, bring your arm straight up at it, nine times out of ten, you will make it. Okay. How many 300 games do you have? I have exactly 23 now. Dang. I thought you only had like three. I didn't know you had 23. Yes, this is a 300 ring here, if you can see it. Yeah, I can see it. Okay. Let me ask you a question. When did you get your first one? Oh, wow. And what happened when you got to the 10th frame? To be honest, the first one, my first 300, I shot off anger. Most people say you get real nervous. and But I heard people in the background, and, and, and in bowling terms, they have certain terms that they use. Like he's wearing tighty whities or his, or his butt is too tight. He's not going to make he's not going to make the next strike. He's too nervous. So I was hearing all this. So my very first three hundred, I shot off anger, and every time I threw a strike, I would turn to point at those people. I said, "One more strike to go. One more strike to go. Here's your three hundred. And I shot a three hundred. You know. You didn't feel nervous the first time, just really just mad at them saying you couldn't do it. I was mad at them saying that I couldn't do it. Now, my second 300, my third 300, when you get to that first ball in the 10th, you start to feel a warm sensation come over your body. That's when you start to get nervous. And my second 300, to be honest, I went to the bathroom three times. Because the first time, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know which foot to start on. So my buddy said, what's wrong? I said, I forgot which, which foot I supposed to start on. I got to run to the restroom. So I went in the restroom when I was practicing. So I come back out. He said, look, let's walk up there, pick up the ball and throw it. I was like, okay. I walked up there, picked up the ball and I threw it. And I got a strike. So when I walked back, I'm waiting on my ball to come back. He said, what's wrong? I was like, I forgot which leg I was on again. So I went back to the bathroom and I did it like three times. And Amen. I got my 300. Yeah. That gentleman is on your team on Tuesdays, Ed. He's on yours, isn't he? Yes. Yes. I, I watched him bowl a 300 on a Thursday morning. Yeah, that's what he told me. Yes. It was, it was great to watch. I actually thought I could see the sweat coming down, <laughs> down his forehead. But he looked calm. But he could, I don't know. You could see the tense. Because you know what happens all of a sudden now you got 20 people behind you watching you ball. That's the thing. That's what makes people nervous. Everybody's not comfortable with being on the stage. Like when you're back in your classroom as kids, when you're when everybody's reading at their desk, everybody's fine. 
But when the teacher tells you to come stand in front of the classroom and read a certain paragraph, all of a sudden you get nervous. Yeah. And that's where it is in bowling. To me, the first nine frames are okay. It's that first one in the tenth and that last one. Because you get that first one in the tenth, you, you, you start to calm really? down and feel relaxed. And you'd be like, oh, well, I got ten of them. I'm okay. You know, once you make that eleventh one, and you go to your your palms get sweaty. You start thinking about it. Even after all this time. Even after even after 10 300s, 11 300s, you know, it's you you still feel it. I mean, I'm not sure how many Frank has, so between the two of you, you have a lot of them. And Frank's father, you know, he just passed, he had a lot of them too. Yeah, he and I talked a lot about it. He's he was congratulating me on my skills and and I told him, I'm, I'm just really enjoying it now. I mean, not having to bowl and rush off to work. Now I can just bowl and relax and enjoy the game, you know, enjoy the people that's around me. How many, how many times a week do you bowl? Right now, well, during the summer, I went up to three, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. A lot of people want me to bowl with them during the winter leagues, but uh, for some strange reason, my body is starting to shut down <laughs> After 6, 6 p.m., I'd rather do the morning bowl because I have all day to do whatever I want to do. But that Wednesday night when we were bowling, we took first place. It seemed like by the second game, I was sleepy. I was tired. I was body was saying, look, you're supposed to be at home in your recliner, smoking a cigar, watching a movie. Yeah, pretty much. Or asleep, like me. Right. Or working, so, so for that matter. So anyway, so... How are the people you bowl with on all the leagues? Not just me, because I know I'm great. I went to a Tuesday as a three-person team, two men and a lady. Did you win and last year? No, we had first place locked up, but it takes spares to win. I know. And all of a sudden, my team couldn't spare, because if I'm shooting 250s, 260s, 279s, I just need someone to spare no team really flat out beat us, even though we had to make up a lot of handicap that they had. And I remember for a fact when we played your team, we beat you all. Yeah, well, we gave you a break. Uh, we lost first place for the mere fact our team as a team wasn't sparing, and you must spare. Everybody think you got to strike, you know, but you must spare. Strikes are tough, you know. But, you know, we got beat by this team that I didn't even know that existed. You know, but yeah, we'll get them next time. They were pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they was pretty good. Time. We just take the first half off. Anyway, <laughs> how are your teammates? I mean, how, you know, because I know it was your first year down here in Florida. Well, you know. Are they very accepting or, you know, sometimes they get a little antsy? That's one thing I'm pretty good with is character. And I call it picking the right characters, picking the right people to be around. Everybody's not compatible. Like I said, I was just here to have fun. I hadn't bowled in two years because of the COVID thing and they had kind of shut everything down. But uh, I'm enjoying myself. I'm enjoying the people that I'm around. I've learned so much from the people I'm around. And as long as I know you're having fun and you're trying, and I, I'm, I'm okay with it because we're not professionals. We're not making a million dollars. 
you know, we we just there for the exercise. They say that we're senior citizens now, you know. So they hey, call hey. me the baby of the league because I turned 60. So I'm the baby of the league. So, but I'm looking at guys, male and female, 70, 80, 90 years old, bowling very well. Yes, they and are. That's what I'm really impressed with. So the three, you don't bowl with two other guys on Tuesdays, correct? No, I'm having another, the other guys are coming back. And some of the ladies wanted to bowl with us because they had their own league, but they didn't have enough to start their league. So we're going to merge them together. Right. And so we picked up one of the ladies. So it's going to be myself, Ed, and two ladies. I mean, one lady. What happened to the other guy? He said he didn't want to bowl anymore because he was doing a lot of golfing and a lot of traveling. Oh, we're talking about Joe, right? Was that guy Joe on your team, though? No, it must have been somebody else. Well, there was another guy named Joe who decided that he was going to go bowling more because he didn't want to bowl with women or some some Gave that excuse. Oh, uh, it wasn't your team, man. Okay. So now we go to Wednesdays. Who do you bowl with on Wednesdays? Got a great team on Wednesdays. Matter of fact, my Wednesday team will now be my Monday and Friday team. Jose, Nancy, and Jacob. Well, Jose, they are so bowling. much fun. They are so much fun. Jose's bowling on Wednesdays? Um, yeah, yeah, Jose, he was bowling on Wednesday, you know, <clears throat> and we took first place. You and know. They, let him, they let him bowl? And they would let him bowl on Monday? Well, he there's a conflict. Wednesday is not a sanctioned league. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was a conflict. Your battery is running low. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we ain't got much longer. Yeah, so it was a conflict with his, him being sanctioned. He showed them the card, so they're just waiting on another letter to come back because he was sanctioned, whether he is sanctioned. And so they just went on a letter to come back from USBC. Yeah, his story to me was very interesting. Yeah. I know you may not agree, but. Well, you know me, you know, I tell people, if you don't want to, if you don't want my truth, don't ask me, because everybody can't handle the truth. That's, that's, what's, that's, what's pro that's the problem with us as people here in America, around the world, especially here in America, where we, we supposed to be the United States, where we all supposed to be together as human beings. But we let this word race and get in between things. Your best friend can be from an opposite nationality than you. Yeah. But you're going to pass that up. Uh, He's, of a, he's he's from a different nationality, and that's, and that's not good. And I, I, I totally agree with you. We had that conversation. But one thing, I am like you. You're not either politically correct. I just say what I want to say. They'll tell you it, Denny. I say what I want to say. They don't know how the hell I don't get fired. It's because I say what I want to say. You don't like it? Fire me. And that's one of the first things they say. You have the right freedom of speech, right? Yep. But you ask me a question, and then when I tell you the answer, then you don't like it. My thing is, we all have the right to agree to disagree. Everything you say might not be right. Well, yeah, Everything I know. Everything I, I say might not be right. I know you're wrong on Mondays when you tell me I should be doing better. <laughs> you should be doing better. <laughs> anyway, so let's get to your Monday team. There is me, Nancy. You and who are you going to have in the winter? Jacob. What are you guys doing next winter? 
next Tuesday. I'm bowling on Tuesdays with Ed because you guys said that you still had your team. Yeah. And uh, matter of fact, I asked Frank if he want to bowl on Fridays. So he said he'll let me know. Yeah, that was the same thing on Mondays. I kept asking, yeah. "What do you want? What are you gonna do on Mondays?" He kept putting it off. So we, me and Nancy, talked that time. So let's get a team. And you said, "Okay, to, to that too, it was good." Yeah, he had he has a lot going on, you know, especially with the passing of his father. And then I think he lives kind of far away, also. So you know. yeah, but him and Jimmy is the one that found that bowling alley. It was in the middle for both of them because they've been right. friends forever. So, and Jimmy would be back Labor Day. So I'm looking forward to bowling on Tuesdays. So anyway, I have one more question for you before I let you go. First of all, I want to thank you for taking our time. So I had to drag your rear end to do this. Uh, but I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. It wasn't as painful as it was. I didn't talk about your life as a porn star or anything else. <laughs> uh, so anyway, you know, I was going to throw that in there. If you have any advice, anybody growing up, what would it be? Do not believe what you're being taught. Do not believe what you're being taught in schools. Do your own research. That's what we don't do. Even with politics, even with religion. We all have been brainwashed in a certain way to fit a certain mold. Once you go outside that mold, then all of a sudden you're disliked. You're crazy. You're whatever. Do your research on whatever you decide to do. If you want to be an architect, do your research on how to become an architect. If you want to be a doctor, do your research on it. Doctors don't know everything. On, 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 on their paperwork, they said they have the right to practice medicine. Didn't say they know medicine. It said practice medicine. So we don't know everything. So do your research. Go out and find out what's really behind this here. Um, that's my main thing. The word research. Okay. And that's good. Now, I just want to end this by telling everybody, again, if you know anybody who has a story, please reach out to my email. I will talk to them and see if I can get them on, depending on what they have to say. And I don't care who you are, what you are, what you do. Everybody has a story. And remember one thing that I tell you every time I sign off on this podcast, if you're not laughing, you're not living. Again, Miguel, thank you very much. And I'll see you in a minute, I guess. Have a good one. All righty, then. Thank okay. you.